Welcome to Head Heart Homefront, brought to you by the Barry Robinson Center, the country's leading behavioral health residential treatment center for military kids. I'm your host, Erin Lindstrom, and I'm so glad you're here. The Barry Robinson Center created this interview series to celebrate Military Family Month. We're bringing together mental health leaders to chat about building resiliency and healthy, happy families through the ups and downs of military life. We know military life can be challenging for our kids and it can also present amazing opportunities. In these conversations, we talk about tips, tools, and techniques to navigate the highs and lows for both you and your children. The conversations have been incredible and we are so excited to share this episode with you. Welcome back to Head, Heart, Homefront. I am Erin Lindstrom and I'm here with Sarah Smiley and I am so excited to hop into this conversation. Before we do, I'm actually gonna share a little bit about Sarah with you. So she is a military dependent for more than 44 years, is the author of a syndicated newspaper column and of four memoirs. Got here as soon as I could, dinner with the Smileys, I'm just saying and going overboard. Sarah is best known for writing about motherhood, she has three sons, and life in the military. Over the past 18 years, she's also received attention for her columns about depression, politics, particularly regarding military and motherhood, baseball, and life in Maine. In 2014, Sarah was awarded the American Legion Auxiliary's prestigious National Public Spirit Award. She's been featured all over the place, <laughs> including Parade Magazine, The New York Times Magazine, O Magazine, Good Housekeeping, Military Spouse Magazine, and Newsweek. She's also been featured on The Today Show with Katie Couric, uh, Nightline, CNN, CBS, The Early Show, Fox News, and MSNBC. So this is such a treat that you're here with us today. Thank you yeah. so much for being here, Sarah. Thank you. Yeah, I'm so excited to dive in and like your work really has uh, intrigued me um, and sent me on many a Google search. <laughs> and so I'm so excited to connect and to learn more from you and to hear about um, just your life and your world and kind of how you ended up here to start. So I'm wondering to kind of kick us off, would you mind telling us a little bit about your story and how you came to be really sharing your story and the other stories you've heard with the world? Thank you. Um, yeah, sure. I. So when I got married very young, I was 22 um, and had my first son when I was 24. And right then my husband left for his first military deployment. I should back up a little bit and say I grew up as a military dependent. My dad was in the Navy. And I always said that I would never marry anybody in the military. Uh, that's funny. Um, it was pretty much like six months later I met my who became my husband, Dustin. Um, and so I was a little bit frustrated that I had this college degree. I had things I wanted to do. I wanted to teach. Um, and now I was kind of chained to his career, um, moving where we needed to go for him. And, you know, it's nothing new. Everybody listening that's in the military knows those feelings of you're proud of your spouse. Um, you support them, but there's a little bit of, but I had things I wanted to do too. Mm -hmm. um, so when I was home alone at night, I would write essays about being a military spouse. And at that point, people weren't really talking about very honestly about being a military spouse. It seems weird to think about now because of social media and blogs and everything. But um, back then, it, it um, a lot of the things that were written in the newspapers about military families came from military service members. And so I started writing just kind of the honest part about being a military spouse. And 
Um, and that got picked up by newspapers and then it just kind of snowballed from there. Mm, I love that. I think it's so interesting. Like just the point that you just made that you can be both like, right. As humans, you can be so proud and so supportive and so in it. And also there's still space for you to have your own feelings about that too. So I just love the humanity that's there. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Um, as a, so a dependent for 44 years as first a daughter, right. And now a wife and you have your own kids as well. You've seen this through many a different lens, it sounds like. And so I imagine through that journey, you've seen like different highs and lows and what comes up often in the conversations on head, heart, home front has been this theme of resiliency. And so I'm wondering, can you speak a little bit about that and maybe like your experience or things that you've seen? about how people become more resilient? Yeah, or your personal story. I don't know, like what comes up for you when we talk about resiliency in military families? Well, so it's interesting because the latter part of my time as a military spouse now, um, we've lived in a mostly civilian community. There is some military here. There's um, National Guard, the Air Guard, mm -hmm. um, reservist here, but it's not, certainly not like being in Norfolk, Virginia, San Diego, Pensacola, different other places we lived. Um, and it's interesting to see civilians' perspectives of military spouses. Not surprising to me because I've known it my whole life, you know, but there is a stereotype of a military wife. Um, and sometimes, unfortunately, not always, now I'm kind of stereotyping people's stereotypes. But, right, right. Uh, but a lot of times people think of military spouses as meek, 1950s, willing to give up their careers to follow their spouse around. Um, but I've always found military spouses are some of the strongest, most independent um, women that I've ever known. And, um, and it's, it's interesting to me how far off people can see it until they lived it and met military families. And, um, and I think it's from what you said that just learning to be resilient. And maybe um, I know for myself, I didn't start out feeling that way. In mm -hmm. fact, I felt very, um, unprepared for when my husband left for his first deployment, being so young, having a new baby. I certainly didn't feel resilient, resilient and strong at the time. Um, but I think that the things that we lived through makes military families extremely resilient um, for the things that they have to learn and go through. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I did with my own children during my husband's um, last deployment that he was gone for a year overseas and this led to the book dinner with the smileys was um i had known that in previous deployments i felt very alone um you know people always say oh i'm so sorry that he's leaving we'll have you over to dinner um you know why don't you come spend july 4th with us whatever people say these things they don't it doesn't always follow through sometimes it does but you know there's niceties that we say i've said it to people too when i you know i've said oh we'll have you over for dinner and then life gets in the way and you get busy right. and a lot of people when my husband was leaving said you know we'll have you over don't worry we won't forget you but then i was kind of like but what if they do not maliciously but just because their lives get in, you know busy and everything and so i decided in that deployment that I wasn't going to wait this time for people to call us to dinner. Mm -hmm. And that was when we decided that each week we would invite someone to dinner to just take it into our own hands and say, we don't want to be lonely. We don't want to be sitting at the dinner table, staring at an empty seat. So instead of waiting for someone, we're just going to do it. And so each week we had a new guest come to dinner, a stranger 
Um, and that led to the book Dinner with the Smileys. And I felt like that deployment, even though it was one of my husband's longest, mm-hmm. um, went by so quickly because mm-hmm. it just, we had that constant something to look forward to, the support of the community. And I also think by kind of forcing, we weren't forcing, but you right, know, by right. taking it into our own hands and telling our neighbors, come sit in a seat, come have dinner, that it really gave them an eye-opening look at what it truly means to be a military family. Mm, I love that. And it's so interesting, like how important just human connection is as you're going. And I love that you kind of flipped the script on that, flipped the script on that to really make it so it's like, okay, because you're right, those niceties do happen. And then at the same time, we can be the ones who are like, so tonight or next week and like making the plant. It's kind of a power play to pull it back. Yeah. And and I think in the beginning when I first started inviting people to dinner, some of my friends said, oh gosh, you're so brave, you know, because my kids were all very little then. And they were like, are you, are you going to clean the house? And I, no, 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 no. I'm not doing that. I said, the whole reason we're having these people over is because I want to have adult conversation (laughs) because I have little kids and we just don't want to be alone. So I made a promise to myself and to my kids, whatever clothes they had on, that's what they were wearing to dinner. Like I wasn't going to make them change, comb their hair. I wasn't going to clean the house. I wasn't, I did usually wipe down the bathroom because that's exceptionally not fair to anybody over and have them use a bathroom that three little boys use. Um, but it mostly was just life as it was because the whole thing was just not to be alone. And, and I think sometimes we get tripped up by expectations of, well, my house doesn't look good enough, or I don't know how to cook. I can promise you, I don't know how to cook. (laughs) Um, sometimes we just had pizza at these dinners, Mm -hmm. but I think there's, there's so many things that block us from reaching out to people, Mm -hmm. which become barriers for military families who are feeling alone, like, Mm -hmm how would I invite somebody over? My house is too small or I don't cook or, you know, I'd have to clean. And I just decided to do away with all of those and say, I'm really fearful of this whole year alone raising kids. And so I have to just, just put all that aside and say, if you want to come to dinner, come to dinner. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Can't promise what we're going to eat, but if you wanted to have a really good dinner, you probably would have gone somewhere else anyways. (laughs) (laughs) Right. There's restaurants for those nights. This is about connection. Yeah. Did you know that you would be writing a book about it or did that happen organically? It happened later. So in the beginning, it was just to, because I used to do those paper chains with my kids to count down the days of Mm -hmm. deployment. 365, it ended up being 13 months, actually. Um, That ended up, that's like, that's a lot of paper chains. I thought we can't do that. That will take over. We do have a tiny house. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And so I said, we can't do that. So I was trying to think of a way to mark time because marking time has always been something that helped me. And so I said, we'll just do this once a week dinner. You guys can pick people, but it was not something that I was going to write about. Um, I did write about it in my column a couple Mm -hmm. of times. And then I noticed how much people were connecting with the idea. And as the dinners went on, I realized what we were teaching the community was just as much as they were providing for us. Um, and there was just this whole exchange that was really beautiful, but it actually was the 17th dinner that that was when I came home and I wrote the first chapter and said, I'm going to make this a book because, um, we were supposed to have dinner with my neighbor next door Mm -hmm. who was elderly and she had gone to a nursing home, um, since my husband had left for deployment and we were going to go to her nursing home and have dinner with her. And I kept putting it off because there were other guests who had time constraints, like the kids wanted to have their teachers and they could only come on this night or that night. 
And so I kept telling my neighbor, oh, we'll do it February, we'll do it March. And then finally it was, we'll do it in April. Um, two weeks before we were gonna go have dinner with her, I called the nursing home and said, just so I just wanna make sure you're aware that I'll have three little boys with me. How do I pay for dinner? You know, just setting things mm -hmm, up. And they mm -hmm. said, they said, we're, we're still expecting you, but did you know that she passed away? Um, and so we missed our chance to have dinner with her and, um, and it was heartbreaking for the kids and a lesson for me and that how much we put off things. And then that she wouldn't have cared what we looked like when we came to dinner, if the kids mm -hmm. were in their ball clothes or, um, you know, and so that was when I realized that the idea of being alone at dinner wasn't just military families. It's there's so many people that are alone at dinner time. And that was when I knew this is something bigger and it should be a book. Oh, that just gave me chills. Like the human <laughs> experience and connection. Like we all, you're so right. Right. That like so many of us, uh, even when we're around people, sometimes it feels very alone. Right. And so having that intentional connection can really change your whole, not just day, but week, month, life, uh, mm -hmm. moving forward. So that's so powerful. How did that, um, I imagine the that kind of connection and really being with people so frequently. And I love that your kids were like in on it with you. Like it was a commitment that you did together. Did you like, how did that change them as people from your <laughs> perspective? So um, my oldest son was a preteen when it, when we first started doing it. And so mm -hmm. if you've ever raised preteens, you know, that's a very difficult time in life to parent and to be a kid, <laughs> lots mm -hmm. of ups and downs. Um, so uh, someone ended up in timeout every single dinner or was, <laughs> um, and it wasn't all rosy. A lot of times I was yelling at the kids before the dinner came, dinner mm -hmm. guests came, you know, about help me get this on the table. Um, but what I watched when I stood back and as I was writing the book was the growth that happened in my boys during that time of just, we don't expose kids enough. I don't think to, um, if you think about it, like when we want to go out to dinner with friends, we get a babysitter and leave the kids mm -hmm. or we have a children's table and the kids aren't with the adults. So I realized that when we first started, my kids weren't that comfortable talking to adults like yeah. that. They didn't. Um, and so there was a learning curve and they had to learn the idea of small talk and ask, giving and taking, asking questions and things. Um, and then I looked at the last dinners in the book. And they were so good at like navigating it, like shaking people's hands, things I didn't teach them, but that they just picked up by doing it. Um, and so I've always said now, it, it's just something I accidentally fell into teaching them this. It wasn't something I set out, but I do think that they learned a lot about communicating with adults um, through that, which unfortunately, I think sometimes we shy away because we think, oh, they're going to misbehave. You know, I don't want right. to bring them to dinner with the adults. Um, but every adult that the kids misbehaved during dinner, one time we had a minister come to dinner, <laughs> he actually put the kids in their room, <laughs> um, because they were wrestling under the table and not listening to me. But, um, every time we had a dinner guest and the kids misbehave and I felt embarrassed, it almost always, the dinner guest would contact me later and say, don't sweat it. I'm a parent. I raised kids. I've been there. Nobody ever said that I know of. Nobody ever right. said, I'm never going back there again, you know? Right, right. So it's it's funny to me that for military families, especially, 
everybody knows about struggle. Everybody knows about loneliness. Everybody knows how hard it is to raise kids, especially alone. Um, but we want to hide away those things and act like I've got it, you know, yes. and we're out to people. And my experience in that year was that reaching out never turned people away. In fact, I felt like people were happy to know how to help. Like mm. by me saying, come to dinner, people who wanted to help and didn't know how it made them feel useful too. So I don't think you would ever be rejected if you reached out to people and said, can you just give me a hand here? Yeah. yeah 100%. It's so interesting. Cause you're right. It is that like shield of perfectionism almost that goes up where it's like, well, I can only have people over when like everything's going to be okay. And mm-hmm. I know for myself too, I have, my kids are six and seven now, but when their dad was deployed, I had like two friends <laughs> really like, cause we had moved here pretty recently. Um, and we ended up, you know, really forming a bond that was like, okay, we're all taking the kids to one house tonight. Cause all three of our spouses were gone. And um, it was a hot mess with seven kids <laughs> running around, but it was so important to have that connection and to just be like, this is what it looks like. Like there's no yeah. hiding it and there's no reason to, because, oh, you can accept me like this as well. Oh yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I- I'm wondering, so like, as you were navigating this and then like this whole idea of creativity and you were writing and momming and dealing with all the life things, right. And having like a professional side too, how I would love to hear like a little bit about, um, keeping the creativity alive for you, why that was important and how you kind of like manage that. So I think I've always processed things best through writing, mm-hmm. which my husband is well aware of because if we're arguing about something, he knows he's going to get like a five page text. <laughs> and yeah. um, writing is always how I've processed things. So that wasn't unusual to me that I would be writing through the deployment. Um, but I feel like everybody copes with deployments in different ways. Some people spend a lot of time at the gym, you know, I never Mm -hmm. did that. Mm -hmm. Um, Some people, you know, get buried in their work and whatever. We all have coping mechanisms. Um, And for me, I just have always felt like keeping busy was kind of what I did to get by. And then, and then it always feels like as soon as my husband gets home, then I will like sleep on the couch for five days, you know, (laughs) because it's like all of a sudden you can relax. Um, But Mm -hmm. I remember on my husband's first deployment, I had a friend who said, well, she said two things that have stuck with me. She didn't have children yet. So she envied me because I had a newborn baby, which I was thinking, you're envying me for a newborn baby because I'm not sleeping. And I don't right, right. You don't know what it's like at night. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, but she said, she said, you have physical touch. She said, you're constantly holding this baby and the baby's petting you. And she said, I haven't like touched another human being in five months, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And that really struck me because I never had to go through a deployment truly alone. I always had babies or children. Um, But she also said that she felt like everybody hit their wall at a different time in a deployment. Like, um, you know, some people kind of fell apart in the beginning of like, how am I going to get through this? And then they got their routine together and they were good to go. Um, And then, other people, you know, in the middle, it was like, now it just feels too long for me. I always felt like, and I say this in dinner with the smileys, the book that I fell apart at the end. It was kind of like, um, it's like, you're almost there, but you just feel like you just can't take it anymore. You know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, but so I feel like we should be gentle with other military spouses that are going through it because I know sometimes there can be judgment of, um, why is she acting like that? We've got so much more, so much more time to go, you know? 
-hmm. and just realizing that everybody deals with things in different ways and, um, and just to get through it together. Yep. 100% holding space for like wherever you are and knowing that every day it changes as well. Um, Mm -hmm. it's like pretty fascinating. I imagine so over, over this time, I imagine you've had like some highs and lows or has it all been wonderful the whole time? No. Yeah. Would you be open to sharing a little bit about like what that's like in the low, whether it's you or holding space for your kids as you're going through all of this? And also like what have been some of the strategies and techniques that have really like helped you, you know, move through it and get through it and be here now? Yeah. So um, one of the things my husband and I always talked about for deployment is what things did he want to hear about while he was deployed? You know, Mm -hmm. that because you worry, am I burdening them by telling them these things or am I leaving them out by not telling them these things? So that was one thing that helped was that I always knew what my husband wanted to hear, you know, while he was away. Um, my husband also, not only has he been deployed, but he also did some geo bachelor too, mm-hmm. where, um, you know, he was stationed in DC and we stayed in place. So that was some time apart too. Um, and each each thing being deployed or being a geo bachelor kind of required different skills of how to cope with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've definitely dealt with depression during the time that my husband was gone, um, raising teenagers while my husband was gone and preteens. Um, all of those things are hard on any person. It's made especially harder when you're a military family and um, separated from each other. Um, but I always say that knowing that there's so many single moms that, you know, don't have someone coming home. So that's hard too, to, to balance that and, and say, but we do still have support, you know, they're just not physically mm-hmm. here. Um, but I think that getting through it was, you know, just staying open with my husband and talking about things and, um, and just always making sure that I had close friends I could talk to people. I remember when the kids were young, um, really young, like babies, I had a friend down the street that we had a commitment to each other that no matter what we could, no matter what time of day, we could call each other up and just say, I need you to take my kids. And it it would Mm. be no questions asked, just an hour, just drop them off. And you know, that if you were like, you know, that it, and you didn't have to reciprocate and say, well, now I'll take yours for an hour. Um, Right. I don't, I don't remember either of us ever using that, but just knowing that, that we had that deal that we could do that at any time was such a like load off that there was someone there. If it, if it came down, I was like at my wits end and like, you know, going to fall apart that I could call her and say, can you just come take my kids for an hour? (laughs) So I can, yeah. Yeah. 100%. That's so interesting. So you have this like theme throughout of like connection and community, (laughs) like really being important. I love that as like, I think a lot of times, you know, we're plopped into different places and then it's like, okay, go make friends. And as adults, we don't necessarily like know how anymore. And so this idea of like really putting yourself out there and it sounds to me too, that there's an element of like mindfulness that comes with all of this. Mm. And like you touched on um, almost like some comparative suffering, which I think is very natural as we're going through things to be like, well, this is really hard right now, but also it's not as bad as this. And especially in military life, there's so many different things to look at and be like, could be worse. I'm grateful. And it can be hard to juggle the, like the very real truth of like, right now is a very hard time, even though on paper, something else might look harder. Like it's your pain. It's what you're going through. And I think being able to be really 
honest about that and just be where you are and not make it wrong, like is such a, a gift too. And also being able to zoom out and have that bigger perspective of like, and I'm grateful for what I've got. But it's such a, an interesting thing to be able to hold both. But when you can find other people who are doing the same thing, I've found that for me, that really changes the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I actually, at the end of um, the deployment for Dinner with the Smileys, so here I'd been for 13 months writing about filling my husband's empty seat at the dinner table with different guests in the community. And right before he came home, a good friend of ours that we had been stationed with, her husband died in an mm-hmm. um, aviation accident and uh, while he was on deployment. So here, her husband was not coming. She had a permanent empty seat at the dinner table. And that was really hard for me because like you said, the comparing, you know, thinking, mm-hmm. well, gee, what I, what I just went through was tough, but look what she's going through, you know? And I think we do mm-hmm. that a lot as military spouses. Mm-hmm. Um, she was so good about, we spent a lot of time on the phone talking to each other during that time. And she was always so good about saying, you know, it, sometimes you can't compare things, you know, like that. Right. Right. That they hard is hard and it's, you know, and what, what you're going through is, is hard and what someone else is going through is hard and it's, and it's difficult to compare them, even though it's natural, natural. Right. Right. Watching what she went through certainly gave me, you know, a, appreciation for all that we have and, and for my husband coming home. Yeah. It's, it's a perspective shift, I think for sure. And then to also like to be loved by someone who's grieving or going through a hard time and to know too, that like you can show up and support, even though it doesn't feel equal sometimes. Right. There's like this level of like, Oh, should I even reach out? Because I don't want to remind you of something or, you know, like point out, right. Even coming to dinner, like sometimes I think people didn't want to bother me with being a burden of like coming over or inviting themselves. And so being really clear just about like our expectations and like what we actually want and being able to communicate those things, not only does it deepen the, deepen the communication in that moment, but I think for years going forward, there's just so much to gather from each other to like create a stronger community, like whether it's in our home or across the nation or the world or whatever it is we're doing these days. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Fascinating. So for parents who, or not parents, military connected, whoever, right. Who is listening to this. Is there one thing when it comes to like military families that you would really love to um, impart on them to do anything that you'd want, like someone to listening to be like, this is the one thing that I heard and like clicked. <laughs> well, I think you said it earlier that for me, it's always been about community. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, sometimes you have a built-in community whether it's in your same group, squadron, ship, whatever, you know, that they, um, you kind of have that built-in family because everybody's going through the same thing at the same time. Increasingly more and more today, there's a lot of um, reservist National Guard, you know, that are activated um, that don't have that built-in or they aren't used to deployments. Um, So I, I feel like we today, more than when I first started writing, have more military families that aren't in the routine of deploying. Mm -hmm. Um, which makes it even more important to reach out to each other. But I do think community, just being open with people about what you need. And, and I've always found and said this over and over again, I've already said it today too, is that no one ever was mad at me for asking for things. You know, <laughs> they, people were usually glad to help. They just don't know how to help. Yeah. Um, and 
but I also think on the other side of things, what's become important to me, I was lucky growing up as a child that I went to the same public school K through 12. Um, that did not happen for my children or my oldest child because we moved around more. Um, but it's always been watching what my kids have gone through moving schools. Um, and then just the, the uncertainty of deployments and all of that brings for family dynamics and everything. It's been very important to me to talk to people that need to know about what it's like for military children in a school setting. Mm. Um, as that is a whole other aspect of things, you know, that sometimes, um, in big military communities, I think teachers are good about knowing and often they are military related themselves. Um, but like I said, and there's areas, you know, where the military isn't quite as prevalent or there's a lot of reservist or whatever, um, that I think it's important that people that are dealing with military families have a good understanding of what they're going through so that they can understand how to help them best. Um, things for kids in school and, and you know and, it, and if it's not happening in your area I think it's good for military families to reach out to the teacher and say my family's going through a deployment um you know so just helping the teacher to be sensitive like if there's something that that, that it says like interview your dad or whatever just understanding that they may not be able to interview their dad or right. um, gotten better about that kind of thing but I think it never hurts to reach out and just say here's what our family's going through here's yeah. how you that end, you know, as a teacher. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And I think again, like this just, it's so important. I think at the end of the day, right? Like if, if you need support, like you are allowed to reach out and ask people for that and to teach them how to help you in a way that is actually best for your family. So amazing. Well, Sarah, thank you so much for taking the time for having this conversation, for writing your books and living your life and like sharing this whole world with us. I really, really appreciate it. Like, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. You've been listening to Head, Heart, Homefront, a production from the Barry Robinson Center, the country's leading behavioral health residential treatment center for military kids. Many times, kids with behavioral and mental health issues don't improve with typical treatment options in their community. Families may need to consider long-term residential care, and this is where the Barry Robinson Center excels. They're a mission-focused nonprofit organization based in Virginia. Their residential center is the only one in the country that works exclusively with military kids. They understand the military community as many of their employees are military connected. Their high quality treatment includes a wide range of services to help improve the lives of children. If your child needs additional support, check out barryrobinson.org. Navigating mental health can be challenging and we want you to know that you do not have to do it alone. Thank you so much for listening to Head Heart Homefront. If you've enjoyed this episode, please let us know with a five-star review if you're listening to the podcast or a like, comment, or share if you're listening on Facebook or YouTube. Until next time, be well.